If you have your Bibles with you, please take them up now and turn with me to Psalm 119. Today we'll be looking at verses um, 153 through 160. Um, as you're turning there, and I know we've talked a lot about meditation, about learning, meditating on, living out the Word of God. And as we have talked about meditation, we have talked about memorization quite a bit. Um, I was talking with the group on Sunday night last week about the promises of God, especially as they relate to the emo our emotional life. And um, one thing we mentioned there is to help aid with memorization and help aid with meditation is keeping a notebook on you or near you. Um, that as you read, as you study, as you come across promises that God gives to his people in different areas of life, you can write uh, these promises along with the reference in a notebook and you can uh, organize that notebook however you see fit um, uh, that will help you recall these promises specific promises as you need them in your life as you need to pray them and so I would encourage you just in general not in our battle to sanctify our emotions but in life in general to keep a notebook near as you are reading um, so that you can write these promises down in that notebook and use them to encourage you in your walk with God, to encourage you in that meditation that we are called to in Psalm 119. So with that in mind, let us look to Psalm 119, beginning in verse 153. Hear these words from our Lord. Look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us. I ask today that you would give me your spirit, that you would give me your words so that I may proclaim well and proclaim faithfully the message that you have in this passage for your people. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This section that we are going to look at today is almost a direct continuation from the previous section that we looked at last week. There's a, several words that are repeated in both of these. There's several concepts that are repeated in both of these sections that remind us that each of these sections is part of a larger whole. Each of these sections is part of 176 verses that make up Psalm 119. And we'll see as we wrap this up a little bit later on that, that both verse 152, which ended the previous section, and verse 160, which ends this section, both of those verses look to the eternal, everlasting nature of God's word, God's promises, God's statutes, and God's decrees. 
And, and we can almost begin to feel the psalmist desperation as he is running out of time. He is running out of letters in the Hebrew alphabet as we only have two more sections left. He's running out of letters in the Hebrew alphabet to express his love for God's word and his desire for God to come and act as he is suffering under persecution. And yet, as he is running out of time here, he is reminded that God's promises last forever. He may run out of breath to pray for God's comfort, and yet God's words are eternal and last forever. We've also learned throughout this psalm that this is a very long, very large psalm of lament. It is a prayer that the psalmist gives to God that he reminds God, he says, God, I delight and I delight in your word and I pursue obedience to your word. In that word, I have learned that you promise life and prosperity and peace for the righteous and judgment on the wicked. And yet, O oh Lord, in my life, I see the wicked prosper and myself suffering at their hand. And so remember me and your promises, O oh Lord. We see a cry for life in this psalm as well. Ten times our psalmist cries out to God, preserve my life. And three of those times, three of those calls to God are found in our verse today, which reminds us that life needs constant renewal. And that renewal depends upon the Lord's promises, the Lord's decrees or judgments, and the Lord's love. First, life comes based on God's promises. The opening verse today says, Look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. This is a cry for God to come, to see, to remember, and to act. The word deliver is a word that has a bit of a dual meaning. It, it can mean deliver as it is, or save as it is translated here. But the salvation comes through a ripping or a tearing off of whatever it is that causes the psalmist to suffer. Save me by aggressively removing from my life those things that are causing me harm, those, those things that are causing me affliction and suffering in my life. This is poetry. And by choosing to use that word, the psalmist is reminding us that he, he is at a point of desperation in his life. And he wants God to aggressively and actively remove from him the things that are causing him suffering. And this is rooted in his declaration that we have seen over and over that the psalmist has not forgotten to live according to God's law. He's not declaring perfection. He's declaring a pursuit of a life of integrity as defined by God's law. He is reminded that God promises life to those who live that life of integrity. And he's reminding God that I am living as you have called me to live. Rescue me from this difficulty in my life. He also moves on to pray for deliverance for defense and for redemption in his life. He prays to God to defend his cause. 
he is being attacked unfairly. We've seen throughout the psalm that they are using words to slander him. They are using words to deceive him into uh, compromising his walk with God. And, and so he asked God, he says, defend my cause and redeem me. That redeem word is a word that talks about being bought back out of slavery or as we looked in Leviticus earlier where where a close relative can come to you if you've had to sell your land in order to be helped that you can have that land redeemed back he goes on to say in the next verse in verse 155 that salvation is far from the wicked for they do not seek out your decrees we saw in the previous section that the wicked were far from God's decrees. They had intentionally placed themselves far enough away from God's decrees that they did not have any effect upon their life. And they are reminded here in verse 55 that as they have placed themselves far from God's law, that salvation has placed itself far from them. They are in danger of God's judgment because they have placed themselves far from God's law. And so salvation is far from them. And in the midst of all of this, the, the psalmist cries out, preserve my life according to your promise. The promises of God were found in the first two verses of Psalm 119, where the psalmist declares at the beginning of this psalm, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with their whole heart. Blessedness is marked by peace, by fullness of life, by a reconciliation with God. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, I am not at peace. I am not living the fullness of life that you promised for me. And so preserve, restore, revive my life according to the promises that you have given, according to the defending of my cause, and according to the redemption that you promise to your people. You and I, we see the redemption that he calls for in the life of Boaz and the life of Ruth. As Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, come back poor, widowed, and destitute, they meet their kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who redeems the property of Elimelech and who restores Ruth and Naomi to that property as he marries Ruth and as he provides the redemption that they needed in order to survive in Israel. You and I have the same two sources of revival life available to us through the promises of God as they have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our redeemer. When he took on flesh, he became a close relative to humanity. He lived on this earth as a true human, and he was tempted to violate God's law as a true human. He perfectly kept that law as a true human, and he suffered for sin as a true human. As being truly God and truly human, he had the means to redeem us from our sin. And in his life, his death, his resurrection, he has done the work to redeem those who believe 
and profess that he is Lord. But Jesus is also the defender of our cause. The children of God are irrevocably adopted by God as children and heirs of promise through the work of Jesus Christ. But you and I still sin. And when we sin, there is an accuser that stands before God saying that we don't deserve the salvation that Jesus has secured for us as our Redeemer. Sometimes that accuser is ourselves, is you as you wonder, if I continue to sin, am I really saved? Sometimes the accuser is the accuser of God's people, Satan. Whoever it is that stands before God accusing us, Jesus stands there and says, absolutely not. I have redeemed them and they are forever the children of God. The promises of life belong to you and I as we are redeemed by Jesus. When life is sapped from you by suffering, appeal to God's promises to restore and revive your life. Second, we, we see the psalmist appeal to God's judgments, his decrees for that revival life that he desperately seeks. Verse 155 and 156 is a comparison and contrast between the compassion of God and the foes who persecute the psalmist. We see that God's compassion is great and many are the foes who persecute the psalmist. That word great that describes the compassion and the word many that describes the foes of the psalmist are the same word in the original language. We saw in the previous section that in verse 150, those who devise wicked schemes are near. And in verse 151, you are near, O Lord. The picture there was that as the foes drew near to the psalmist, God was already there close, near to the psalmist. We have a similar picture here in these two verses. The foes, the enemies, the persecutors of God's people seem to be great, seem to be powerful. And yet God's compassion is greater. God's compassion upon his people is larger. And so with that comparison there, the psalmist cries out, preserve my life according to your laws. And that word translated laws there is a word that in other places is translated your judgments, your decrees. God has decreed his compassion upon his people, a compassion that is marked by the joining together of mercy and grace. Mercy is the concept, the truth that you and I have not received what we deserve for our sins. Grace is the truth that we have received a love, a salvation from God, which we don't deserve. What we do deserve has passed over us in mercy to the cross. And what we don't deserve, the love of God has passed to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God has decreed that he will protect those whom he has set his love upon. So the psalmist appeals for life according to the judgments of God. God, the truth that God is 
both the just and the justifier of those who love him. God has revealed that his people will be victorious through the work of Christ and through their dedication to God. And yet oftentimes on this earth, it looks as though the church is anything but victorious. And yet we learn from the rest of Scripture, we learn from the book of Revelation, that even though it seems like the world wins, as the world ushers us into the presence of God, we have the victory of living life in his glorious presence. When it seems as though Satan and the world are victorious, it is actually the victory of the church as the mercy and grace of Jesus brings the church to glory. God has already judged between the righteous and the wicked. Pray for revival life according to the righteousness that is yours in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the psalmist prays for the preservation of life based upon the steadfast, faithful covenant love of God. He says in verse 158 and 159, I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your love. The psalmist opens this prayer for life with a declaration that he loathes the faithless. This is something that you and I struggle with, this idea. We we think about what the psalmist said in verse 139 where he had zeal because God's law had been broken. And yet here he says that he loathes, that he hates the wicked. How do we reconcile this idea of loathing or hating the wicked with the, with the truth that we are called to love our enemy, to pray for them, to serve them? One of the ways is that we remember that this is poetry. And in the context of this poem, as the psalmist did say earlier, that he has a zeal for the fact that God's law is broken. We are reminded that when we see sin, we should hate sin. When you're watching TV or you're watching a movie and you hear God's name taken in vain, how do you react? Are you so used to it that it just doesn't affect you anymore? Or is there a bit of loathing and revulsion that happens in your heart when you hear God's name taken in vain or any of God's law broken in the world around us? But on the flip side of that, do we hate the future that awaits the wicked? You and I have revival life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but those who are far from salvation because of the choices they make to disobey God's law and his, uh, ignore his gospel have a future before him, which is a future of judgment. Do you hate that for the wicked? Are you repulsed by the fate of the wicked? Do you hate the fact that those who reject God's promises and God's word will spend an eternity in hell? We are called to be repulsed by the sin of the wicked, but we must first look at the sin in our own life and hate that sin enough to repent and to seek to sanctify those areas of our lives before we go after the sins of others. What we offer to others in love is the gospel. 
is the good news of redemption through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in light of his hatred of sin, the psalmist calls for God to preserve his life according to God's love. Whenever the word love shows up in Psalm 119 and the subject is the Lord, it is a word that is pronounced chesed in the original language, and it is a word that speaks of God's covenant faithfulness. God is a promise-keeping God, and God has promised to save those who cry out to him. God has promised to bring redemption to those who cry out to him, and God has promised to defend the cause of those who cry out to him. And so related to the first call for revival life, the psalmist says, Lord, because of who you are as a covenant promise-keeping God, preserve my life because of who God is he must keep his covenant word the psalmist appeals to the covenant promise that God will give life to those who love who learn and who live the word of God and so when you pray for God to revive you pray that God would do that in accordance with his faithful covenant love we live a life that needs constant renewal a renewal which depends upon the Lord's promise, the Lord's decree, and the Lord's love. The last verse of our passage today is, as we've mentioned, an echo of the last verse of the previous passage, and it reminds us that as we struggle with lament in our world today, that there is a glorious future that awaits the people of God. On one hand, the psalmist is running out of letters, as we've mentioned, to appeal to God in the middle of persecution. But on the other hand, God's mercy, God's promises, God's word does endure forever. We mention that verse frequently from Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. God's decree of salvation lasts forever. God's promise of rescue lasts forever. And God himself is the eternal and everlasting God. Our psalmist teaches us that the life of the child of God is marked by constant prayers for renewal life. And the glorious truth is that God has promised, decreed, and covenanted that the child of God has that revival life into eternity. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words. We thank you for the prayer of the psalmist as he cried out to you to preserve his life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would preserve and revive our lives here on this earth. Remind us that you have promised to do that, that you have judged us worthy in Christ, and that you have covenanted with us to give us that life into eternity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, take this blessing upon you. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook 
or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.